We have about uh, 70 guys up on the retreat, and so we're kind of a multi-site church, at least for one week. And uh, Dwayne's up there, so we're taking a short break in uh, the sermon series he just started on digital living. And today, I want to talk to you about one of my favorite days. When I say I have a favorite day, you might think it's probably his birthday. Um, If my wife asks you what I said my favorite day was, it is our anniversary. Um, You might think it could be a regular vacation day or or something that we do. And those are good days, but it's not the day that I want to talk about today. One of my favorite days, it only comes around every four years, and it's not Leap Day. It's actually November 9th, the day after the election. (laughs) Woohoo! Yes, yes, a willing audience. All right, Um, this day is usually pretty quiet. It's great. It's great. The election is over, and usually, though not always, we, pr- we know who won and lost, usually, usually, and that's all settled. It's a great day because your Facebook news feed starts to clear out from all of the political stuff. And we get back to our steady diet of Cialis and Viagra and luxury car commercials. How exciting is it going to be to see those people in the bathtubs? It's just going to feel like home to us. Well, it's not my favorite day yet, or one of my favorite days, but, but we're close. We're about a week out from the election, and it's getting kind of crazy out there. Have you noticed? There's news stories flying around everywhere, commercials everywhere you turn. Uh, Jesus, please make us not a battleground state once, so we don't have to deal with all of that. And uh, we just can't get away from it. And I am making it worse by talking about it this morning. I understand, so I apologize about that. You notice lots of people are, including Christians, are intensely focused on answering the question, how should we vote on November 8th? But I think another important question um, that's not really getting asked or answered is, is not how should we vote on November 8th, but how do we live on November 9th? How do we live after all these votes have been counted? How do we relate to our government, to our president, elect, and to one another, no matter who's in office, after all the votes have been counted? And here's what I want to suggest this morning. For followers of Jesus, how we live on November 9th is just as important as how we vote on November 8th. So today we're going to look at what I find is a really fascinating passage of scripture uh, that helps us see how to do that, and one that I've been wrestling with for about the last month. And misery, it just loves company. So I'm just going to inflict this one on you all, and uh, we're going to enjoy it together. It's First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, if you want to turn or click there. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. It's also on the screen, and this is what it says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. 
Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we pray for the men who are up at the retreat right now. I I think they're just wrapping up, uh, maybe about to make their way back. Um, We pray that you would work in their lives. Um, As a man at Deer Creek, I I know the men here, we need some help. And uh, so I pray that you'd work in in their lives, work in our lives, um, that we would be more connected to you and more connected to one another. And as we dive into your word this morning, uh, we need your help. You challenge us here with words that we have no hope of putting into practice unless you help us. So help us to hear your word, help me to teach it faithfully, and help us to know what you would have us do in response. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let me start by saying that I know this is a challenging message, and there are really good reasons why it's challenging. Uh, for many of us, there are personal reasons for it. Um, I don't think I'm breaking any news here, but the two major party candidates are fairly unpopular. Have you noticed that? And, and I, I don't think that that's completely illegitimate. Uh, they have both said and done things which have made them unpopular. I, I don't think I'm stepping out on a limb there. And it makes it difficult for people to trust them. It can make it difficult. And so to think about being subject to someone who you have difficulty trusting is a, that's, a, that's a hard thing to think through. And I think that's a legitimate one. It's also a challenging message because, let's just face it, this is America. We value independence. We value individualism. We value the right to disagree and pretty much say whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. And so this challenges some societal values. And I want to start by saying... I, I'm with you. Uh, I, it challenges me. It challenges my values. And, and it's hard for me as well. But I believe that Jesus wants to speak to me through these words. And so my, my guess is he just might want to speak to you as well. So, so let's dive in. How do we respond to this election? How do we live on November 9th and all the days leading up to it and, and, and the days after it? I want to look at three things that we see here that are vital to living as followers of Jesus on November 9th. The first one is this. On November 9th, we are called to be subject to human authorities. He says, be subject, or in other translations, the the word submit is used here. For the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. Now, I don't know about you, what comes to your mind when you hear the word be subject or be submit, but uh, this is maybe more of a men's retreat illustration, but I think of mixed martial arts. So they're, they're in the cage of fighting, and someone gets their opponent in a hold that's just inescapable. And so they either are going to get injured or they have to tap out, they have to submit. That's what initially comes to my mind when I think about the word submit. Uh, But that's not what the Bible had in mind at all. It's not necessarily a negative term in the Bible. It really meant to arrange your life under the authority and the direction of another. Or to put yourself in an attitude of submission. Now this, we we have to admit, is a bit complicated in our system of government. Because you see, uh, the people who Peter wrote to, they didn't have a say in anything. They had emperors... And they had governors who were appointed over them, and they didn't get to vote for that. Or, 
it's kind of like my children, like, hey, here are your parents, like, good luck. Uh, they, they didn't get any say, they didn't get to switch it out or, you know, take backs or anything like that. They got who they got, and it was, the same was true in Peter's day. But we, on the other hand, we have some say in what, what happens in our government. We actually have a role to play in our own governing. We're allowed as a nation to collectively decide who will govern us, and we have a voice in that process. And this is a, a wonderful thing and something that would have been unheard of in, in much of history. So we, uh, we need to be thankful for that. There's something unique about this political season, even if we're getting tired of it. If you choose to engage in the political process, you are rightfully participating in the governing of our country. And I would submit this should be an active process. We should have conversations, hopefully civil and healthy ones, about the direction of our country. But, but here's the deal. Come November 9th, when we as a nation have collectively spoken and have elected our governing authorities, the command to the followers of Jesus today is no different than it is, was to the commands, command of Jesus' followers in Peter's day. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject, we could say, to the President of the United States, regardless of who it is, whether you voted for them or not, whether you think they are a great person or not. Be subject to the elected governors and officials who are tasked, at least for a time, with governing us. We're called to an attitude of submission. And, and as I said earlier, I don't really like this. Uh, everything within me says, no, if I didn't vote for them, I don't want to listen to them. But um, Peter doesn't stop there. He tells us why. He says, for the Lord's sake. When I was in high school, I worked at Blockbuster. Do you guys remember Blockbuster? Yeah, worst job ever. Worst job I ever had. Uh, even worse than we're here. No. Um, they, so at Blockbuster, they trained you when you started on active selling, they called it. And so you spent every Friday and Saturday night for five hours walking around and badgering people into buying more stuff, basically. Someone, someone picked out a movie, they were excited about their movie, they were going to go home and watch that movie. You had to try and get them to rent two or three movies. And it was VHSs sometimes. We had VHSs when I was in high school. Um, and so, hey, hey, oh, that's great. That's a great movie. Have you thought about this movie and this movie? And then if they had some candy, I would have to say, oh, you should get a soda to go with that candy. How awesome is this? I was just, I was, probably I was the worst active seller in that store's history. And I, after a couple months, I just quit. Because you know what? I don't care that Blockbuster makes more money. That, that wasn't enough to get me to walk around on a Friday and Saturday night and badger people so that Blockbuster could get more money. But when I went to college, I got another job. This time I worked at a small employee benefits consulting agency. That sounds pretty exciting too. You'd think movies is more exciting than that. It's not. It's really not. Um, this is a, a firm that my grandfather founded. He retired actually a couple of years before I started, but, but I, I did an internship there. And everyone knew that I was Don Vernon's grandson. Now this job, you think about uh, employee benefits consultant. So insurance, it's a pretty boring job. Think about an intern at an insurance company. How boring is that? 
But I worked extremely hard. I had a great reputation with my coworkers and my managers. It was, it was just as boring. I was a little bit better at it, but I was working for my, own, my sake and for the sake of our company. But I was also representing my family and my grandpa. I was Don Vernon's grandson. So in many ways, I did it for his reputation and for his sake. And here's the deal. If you and I are followers of Jesus, you represent him. He is the ultimate authority over all of us. And we are called to submit to human authorities, not for their sake, not for our sake, but for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of his kingdom. Notice that it doesn't say, be subject to them because their initiatives line up with the principles of Scripture. It doesn't say, be subject because of their sterling character or record. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake. For me, this really um, comes back to a heart issue. The, the questions that I have to ask myself is, do I just want to be right? Do I just want to win? Do I just want power? Or, or am I trying to be faithful in the circumstances in which I find myself? The circumstances that Jesus has put me in, regardless of who's in office. We submit to authorities, not because they are so great, but because you and I are followers of someone who is so great. We're followers of Jesus. And he is the one telling us to submit to governing authorities. So he's the one, ultimately, that we're submitting to. Just a question for you to kind of share the pain here. Um, how's that going for you? Would you be characterized as someone who is subject to governing authorities? Someone who has an attitude of submission? Just ask you to examine yourself on this. Now we need to pause there for a second because there are clear times when we are called not to submit. And it's important for us to mention that. And this is called civil disobedience. It's a huge topic uh, that books have been written on, uh, but I want to just summarize one clear principle. When a clear command of God is in conflict with a command of a human authority, we must obey God rather than people. If we have to choose between the two, we must obey God. We see lots of examples of this in Scripture, but I'll just uh, share one with you from the book of Daniel. In chapter 3, we see uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of that day, the foreign king, has set up a golden image. And he's commanded everyone to bow down and worship this image. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace guys, um, they knew that their God, the God of Israel, clearly stated that in Exodus that you do not bow down before their gods or worship them. So they refused to obey. And they did not bow down before the golden image, which was really brave. And uh, they were brought before the king and told, if you, okay, we'll give you a second shot. If you will not bow down, you will be killed. And this is what they said. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, 
that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. It's an example of civil disobedience. I would also mention it's pretty civil, civil disobedience as well. Not disrespectful, but, but direct. We must obey God. That's what they say. So when the, the clear commands of Scripture are in direct conflict with the clear commands of an institution or a person, we must obey God rather than people. But notice what isn't said here. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, don't say, because you ask people to bow down and worship, other people to bow down and worship, we won't submit to or obey you in anything. No. They say, we will, actually, the, what we see from uh, the book of Daniel is that they submit in many ways to the governing authorities where it doesn't uh, directly conflict with Scripture. But it doesn't matter that the, the culture that they're a part of didn't have practices and beliefs that exactly reflected their own. They were called to submit, except in this one case. When the authorities asked them to bow down and worship the idol, their only right response is, we will not bow down and worship. The same is true today. Um, if the government does something you disagree with, that does not give you a pass on submitting to governing authorities. But if the government asks you personally to do something that is in direct violation with God's law, then your answer must be no. We must obey God rather than people. Now, thankfully, we're in a country where the instances where this is necessary are few and far between. Uh, they do exist, but the majority of the time, our calling is to submit to and obey human authorities who govern us. So Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. On November 9th, let's be known as a people who have an attitude of submission to our governing authorities for the sake of Jesus. Peter goes on a few verses later um, and writes to the church that they are to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. I want to take our remaining few minutes here and look at the first and last things there because I think they're so vital to how we live on November 9th. He starts by saying, honor Everyone. And, and on, on November 9th, and actually the days before that and after that, I would say we are called to honor everyone. Just two simple words, but a really needed message for our day. If you and I took only one thing away from this message, and we practiced just this one thing, I think it would change the tone of all of our interactions. Just two small words. Honor Everyone. And this simply means just to treat them with the respect that they deserve. Foundational to the Bible's view of humanity is that every single person is created in the image of God, and therefore they are worthy of honor. This is true regardless of their age, gender, race, economic status, sexual orientation, religious beliefs mental capacity, and guess what? Even their political affiliation. Everyone is an, is an image bearer, and therefore everyone is intrinsically worthy of honor. You don't have to agree with them, 
But God is calling you and I to honor everyone. Maybe a simple question would help you kind of think through this. Um, Would you speak about people who you disagree with in the same way, using the same words, if grandma were in the room? Maybe maybe you need to rein in your grandma sometimes. So what if Jesus were in the room? What if Jesus were in the room? You might say the same things. You might have the same disagreements still, but I bet we would say it differently. You You do understand we are always representing Jesus, and he is always there with us. There are ways to disagree honorably. For me personally, one of the most concerning things about our election season um, is that at times we seem incapable of disagreeing honorably. The tone of our conversations often suggests that we can't just have a difference of opinion or a difference in values, but that the other person must be a terrible person or incompetent or just stupid. And I've I've fallen into this as well. Uh, Over the summer, I got into an argument with some family members, and I got a little bit fired up, and I said some things that I wish I didn't say, and I said other things in ways that I wish I didn't say them. You know, it's possible to say the right thing the wrong way. Yep, I did that. And uh, afterwards, I had this still small voice in my head that just said, yep, you need to apologize. So I did what any pastor uh, would do, I ignored it, at least for a couple of minutes. Eventually, eventually, to my credit, I went back and said, you know what, I'm sorry. I said some things uh, that were disrespectful. I disagreed, but I, I didn't do it well. I didn't disagree honorably. So question for you, are you able to disagree with people and still honor them? Nowhere does the Bible say agree with everyone, but it does say honor everyone. Maybe you're just like me and you've done this poorly. Is there anybody you need to apologize to? I'll be that still small voice for you, I guess. Um, Honor everyone. On November 9th, we are called to honor everyone. Now, that, that pretty much covers it, but just in case we were unclear, Peter gets really specific. And he says, honor the emperor. Now, we don't have an emperor in our day, uh, but the cl- closest equivalent is the president. And so just to put it in today's terms, I'd just like to state it this way. Third point, on November 9th, we are called to honor the president and the president-elect. It gets kind of complicated in there for a little while, but... We are called to honor the president. Just got kind of real, didn't it? Again, we don't have to agree with them. I'm not even saying that we have to like them. But we are called by God to honor everyone and to honor the emperor, or in our case, the president. This, at the very least, means honoring their humanity and honoring the office that they occupy. And as Americans, we are welcome to disagree and to use every means available to pursue change on all levels and on any issue. It's an amazing freedom that we have as a country. But, as Christians, we are called to do so in a spirit of honor and where appropriate submission. This is a tension. This is a tension that we live in. And as I said at the beginning, I know these are hard commands for us, but guess what? They were really hard commands for the people of the day as well. 
You see, they were under a very colorful Roman emperor, let's say, whose original name was Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus. He was born in uh, 37 AD in Italy, and his mother, Agrippina the Younger, married the Roman emperor, Claudius, at that time, and little Lucius was adopted into the family, and his name was changed to Nero. When he was 17, his, his mother, his loving mother, had uh, arranged for Claudius, the emperor, to be poisoned. And then he, Nero, was proclaimed emperor. By all accounts, uh, he was selfish, calculating, and paranoid. And he had his stepmother killed in AD 55, his mother in AD 59, and his first wife in AD 62. Don't want to get really close to this guy. Um, he ruled poorly for most of his reign, was cruel, and claimed to be God, way more than the emperors even before him did. This is the ruler that the followers of Jesus lived under at that time. And the emperor who Peter called them to be subject to and to honor. I just need to stop here and say, our options don't look so bad by comparison. If you don't take away anything at all, this was worth the price of admission. I got you to feel a little bit good about our options. It, honestly, it really could be much, much worse. Peter knew the realities of his day. He knew that there were no Boy Scout emperors, and yet he called them to submit to and honor the emperor. And it's soon after Peter uh, pens this letter that a fire breaks out in Rome and destroys much of the city. And people start to wonder. We wonder if Nero started that fire so that he could rebuild. You know, he kind of inherited the city. He didn't really like it, so he wanted to burn it and then rebuild it. And so Nero needed a scapegoat, and he, uh, he blamed the Christians, said that they did it. They were disliked already in many circles because their lifestyle and their beliefs didn't really mesh well with the Roman way of life. And so a, a great persecution of Christians broke out. And Peter, a leader in the early church, and the one who wrote, be subject to human authorities and honor the emperor was ultimately killed. He was crucified upside down. That's what happened right after he wrote this letter. And again, Peter was no fool. He, he knew what was going on. He knew was in, who was in power when he wrote this. But still he called followers of Jesus to honor the emperor. And in that spirit, let me just say for us, we are called to honor the president and the president-elect on November 9th, whoever that is. Even if we did not vote for them, even if we do not like them, even if we disagree with their policies, even if they do not closely represent or give credence to our beliefs, even if we do not feel like it. How's that? That kind of covers the ground there. And this is true regardless of who gets elected on November 8th. On November 9th, we are called to honor the president. We're called to treat them with the respect that they deserve as human beings made in God's image and people who God has ultimately put in authority over us for a period of time. And we're called to pray for them. How you doing? Do you criticize our leaders and yet fail to pray for them? I do. 
Is your speech honorable when you talk about our president or presidential candidates? Go ahead and disagree, but do so in an honorable way. The challenge this morning is to live differently, especially in light of this political season. On November 9th and even in the days leading up to it, God is calling us, if we are followers of Jesus, to be subject to our governing authorities, to honor everyone, and to honor the president. I get it, this is difficult, but it puts us in really, really good company. See, we're following in the footsteps of the apostle Peter, but we're also following in the footsteps of Jesus. Just a few verses later, in First uh, Peter 2, verses 21 through 24, this is what it says. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, so that we might live differently. The God of the universe, Jesus, submitted. He submitted to the Romans who were actually under his authority, but he put himself under them and and underwent the cross not for his sake, for the sake of the Father and for our sake. He didn't like it. He didn't deserve it. But he made himself subject to them. And he's our example of submission even when it's hard. Ultimately, we submit to governing authorities because we know that there is an authority above them, someone who, in the end, will make everything right. And this allows us to live differently on November 9th. I believe that our country desperately needs November 9th Christians. People who will follow Jesus even when it's hard. Who will submit to and honor governing authorities. And just plain honor everyone. God help us. God help me. Would you bow your heads with me? Before I pray, I just want to ask a couple of questions for reflection. As you were listening this morning, uh, was God saying anything to you? Maybe a, a conversation that you need to have or unhave. Was he speaking to you about your speech? What is God saying to you? And what does he want you to do? Let me pray for us. Father, we need your help. We can't do this on our own. And I know that I can't. I pray that you would help us to see each other as people made in your image, even when we disagree. Help us to be a people of honor a people known for our submission for the sake of Jesus. 
We pray this in his name. Amen.